Hey, what's happening, guys? Well, I thought I'd sit down and record a brand new solo podcast. Um, man, just had some action here the last month. It's just been an absolutely awesome hunting season. And just want to share with you guys some of the, the happenings and um, some of the places I've hunted and share some of the successes and failures and what I've learned. So this should be a good one as long as I can still remember how to get on here and record a solo podcast. Uh, it's been a while, but it's been um, really nice. I've been able to focus on hunting and um, still release good podcasts to you guys. And um, it's just been an absolutely epic season. But before we get started, I want to thank our sponsors. Uh, I want to thank uh, Onyx Maps. Onyx Maps is such a powerful tool. I think it's the biggest game-changing change to to the hunting industry that we've seen in the last 10, 20 years. It's just absolutely amazing. So, you know, I use it. Uh, the GPS still works. If you're not in cell service, you can save maps. So if you don't have cell coverage, you can open up maps and you can you can switch between aerial imagery topography or they do a hybrid map with uh, both aerial imagery and topography you can mark waypoints label things um, you can you can share waypoints like when I harvested that bull I'm able to then save that waypoint and then send it through a text message to my buddy Dan so he can meet me in to pack it out we use that for sharing camp locations for pickups uh, all kinds of things. Um, you guys have heard me talk about it before on the podcast. You know, I don't even use a GPS anymore. I just use my phone with a GPS that's built into it. And like I say, your GPS still works even if you don't have cell coverage. Um, and then I use Onyx on my computer, on my phone. I use it scouting. I use it in real time on the hunt. I use it after the hunt, after I get back. Uh, it, it's just one of the greatest tools I've ever found. You can get a membership to all 50 states for $99 a year. Um, it, it's just a great deal. Or if you only know that you're going to be hunting one state, you can just purchase that state and uh, have access to it. Um, you know, it, it, it's so handy for private and public. And, and this year hunting, you know, I was hunting a new spot um, south of here. Um, and, and I was hunting this new spot and I, I actually found, um, you know, we started seeing elk and, and they're on the edge of private and public and you can just hunt that with confidence cause you know exactly where you're at. And I actually found a spot you cannot cross corner to corner of public land. So it, it's a, it's, it's a rule that's out there, but sometimes every once in a while there's, it's not a glitch in the system, but to make everything work out in our state, they have to shift the state layers. And so there was actually a corner to corner that had about a 25 foot touch in the corners where it overlapped, where then you could access all this public land that sat behind this private. And it was just epic hunting in there that nobody had figured out. And, um, it's just such a great tool for real time for finding things like that. So if you don't have Onyx, make sure to check them out, download the app, and and use it. It's a powerful tool. And thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. Um, it, it's always nice when you, you know it's uh, these products that I believe in and I use all the time, and then to have these companies stand behind the podcast is just awesome. Uh, I believe in them, and they believe in me. So uh, make sure to give them some support and some love. Uh, thanks to Onyx Maps. With that, let's get into this thing. Man, oh man, um, what a hunting season. Uh, this has just been um, 
a dream come true for me. So I have set out my entire life and I've always said, gosh, wouldn't it be nice to take off the hunting season? Just take off bow season and go. And I, it always seems like this far-fetched goal, you know, to me where, you know, I get a, a, a week off, maybe two weeks off, and then, you know, I'm a weekend warrior and, and that's fine. I've always been good with that. I get back, get work done, and then, you know, back out for the weekends and try to add a day here or there. Um, but I, I've always wanted to just take the season and hunt. And every year I'm able to add a little bit more time, you know, especially I've just set up my life that way. And so through the construction company and then, you know, through this this deal at Eastman's with the podcast and the writing, I'm able to generate a little income from the hunting industry and really able to focus on it. And so this year, you know, I just let everybody know and let everybody be aware. And I mean, the other thing, too, is my family support, which is just crazy. My wife... Um, she supports all my crazy passions and know, knows how good it is for my spirit. And um, she's just on my side on things, you know. And so uh, I have pretty much been gone. I mean, started in August in Hawaii and then antelope. And then, um, gosh, we left on those couple back-to-back mule deer hunts. That was really fun to share with you guys. So I really enjoy doing the live podcast. I'm going to be doing more of them. You know, I just struggle with... Um, I struggle with being in the moment, enjoying the hunt, enjoying where I'm at and capturing content. Like there's a, there's a little bit of a struggle there. Like I love capturing photos and videos, but like, um, I just have to decide what type of content I'm going to grab because it's too much to try to film the hunt, to try to do an Instagram story, to try to get photos and then do a live podcast. I just spend all my time like trying to gather content. So I do have to find the right mix. And so I do have some live recordings that I recorded here and there, and I was trying to put it together, but I I just had too many irons in the fire. You know, we were also trying to film this one, and so uh, that's why this is a recap podcast and not a live one, Uh, but I think it'll turn out really good. You know, I I think I can tell the entire story uh, of my elk seasons and the happenings, and, and really when I get back and I'm able to reflect on it and really think about it and think of what's important, you know, it, it, uh, when it's fresh, it comes out pretty good, but yeah, this hunting season has been incredible. Um, man, I just had the time and um, had a bunch of tags. And um, yeah, that mule deer hunt started off. Um, man, I mean, um, I fell short on that one. Uh, I really wanted to kill a good buck this year. And I pride myself on high country mule deer and, and being proficient at it. And, and you know, I think I I told you guys on the last podcast, I'd have to add it up in my head again. But it's like 12 years in a row on a high country mule deer. But I still have a couple mule deer tags, a couple rut tags. So the season isn't over. Like, I can find redemption there. And I I just, you know, I was really proud of myself at, at that hunt and, and how hard I pushed um, day in, day out. And um, just like any hunt, I just tried to make it happen. I, I tried to create an opportunity to lose an arrow, and it just wasn't in the cards. And, you know, I've, I've came to terms with it now. Failure's rough on me, and I do... I mean, I'd like to tell you it doesn't bother me, man. It bothers me to my core. It tears me down. I, a lot of my personality is based on my hunting, and it, and you know, I I don't know that I want it to be that way, or I want to have that much pressure on myself to be successful. But I just feel like, um, you know, you guys that are following along, and 
like proving it to myself and proving it to you guys that hard work and effort pays off, that you can be successful being a blue collar working class bow hunter and go into these public lands and turn up next level giants. That's what I'm always trying to prove to myself and to you guys. And, and, um, you know, it's, I, I say it all the time. It's like the toughest thing out there. The toughest challenge you can take on. The toughest thing in the world is trying to arrow a public land critter with your bow and arrow. Uh, it is extremely difficult. And everything has to go right. And you have to be on your game. And I... I just I've come to terms with when you take on these extremely difficult tasks and you keep raising the bar for yourself, you know, eventually you're going to fall short. You're going to fail and failure. I mean, it's a prerequisite. And I've failed so many times in bow hunting. You know, it it it's um it's necessary to, to pick yourself up, to grow from it and to get better. But you can find consistent success success out there and like I have this example that I'm trying to wrap around my head I'm trying to relate it to so um you know I was following uh David Goggins on that 240 mile Moab race I mean that guy is a savage I love reading his book on mindset and I mean that guy would die out there um for his cause and for for mindset and and not that you want to take it that far but man is it inspiring when you see somebody commit themselves and dedicate themselves to a cause that's bigger than them and and David Goggins so you probably heard about it now now I've been seeing everybody post about it which is great it it there should be um you know he he should get publicity from it because it is absolutely amazing so he was running the the Moab 240 he got lost in part of it went an extra seven miles in one direction seven miles back so an extra 14 miles tacked on top of it and um I, I heard um, or I watched some of his Instagram story, but he was saying at like mile 187, um, he got pulmonary edema, like his lungs started to fill with fluid. And that guy, as hard as they come for him to throw in the towel or go to a hospital and, and they they told him, you know, if you go get medical treatment, you're out of the race. And rightfully so. I mean, the race director, you know, they can't condone going out there, at, like having somebody die on the course. So they've got to watch out for for their safety. And sometimes you get such a cause or such a goal in your head. And like I say, I, I think David Goggins would have died out there to finish that race, but he went in the hospital, he got treatment. He was disqualified from the race and, um, went on there and went talking and then he started feeling better. And like the next morning out of the hospital, they released him and he goes right back off to where he left off on the race. The race is over with. They won't let him finish. So this is, um, he's just under his own power unofficially and he gets running again and then finishes the race. I mean, it damn near brought tears to my eyes. It's just so motivational, so inspirational. I know how tough running is and I, I it's just incredible. So he failed, picked himself up and uh, created his own finish and in that failure, watching David Goggins fail in, in in that goal that he set forth, he was just had a screaming pace. He trains like a madman. But when you set such lofty goals for yourself, sometimes you come up short. And so I could really relate that to like my high country mule deer. Um, I gave it my absolute all and did ap- you know everything I could do in my power to try to be successful, battle and weather and secondary bucks and 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 just pulled all my skill set together to try to to try to kill a buck and most of the time it works out for me that time it didn't 
And um, when you set really lofty goals, sometimes you're going to fall a little short. But it, it isn't how you fail. It's how you pick yourself up again. Like Goggins being back out there on the trail and finishing that race unofficial. Man, that's just so awesome. So um, I just want to do the same thing and carry you know, carry the toughness of that hunt into my next hunts and into my elk season, which I really felt like I did, and into my late season. And now, you know, one season wraps up and I finish my late season hunts, it'll be training like an absolute madman for that high country early season, which really drives me. I just love hunting those things in that extreme environment. And, and hunting them out of a backpack is like the purest way that you can backcountry bow hunt. And, um, you know, past that I just want to enjoy the time I have a field too and the time I get to challenge myself and I really do I look back on that and it was just an awesome experience but I fell short I got to pick myself up and and um, do better next year and work harder and I mean it's already you know I don't I just um, I love the process so much I come home and I get a day off and instantly like I just can't even take a day I'm out with my dog I'm running miles I just um, being fit and in shape like that helps me so much on these backcountry hunts to push day in day out and I rely upon my fitness so much that I get home and I just don't slack you know I just I get back on the trail back shooting my bow I know I'm gonna have to rely upon my bow I did have a miss on that muley hunt too with a on that sticker buck and, um, so, you know, it's just like picking myself up, getting better and improving and doing better next time. So anyways, it is what it is. I'm not going to talk of like, uh, it seems like the human brain, you focus more on your failures than you do your successes for some reason. And I use it as motivation and try to turn it into the positive. Um, but I, I think it's just the way we're wired as humans. Like if you mess up or you make a mistake or you fail, you remember it because, you have to improve from it and get better. If you, you know, hit your hand with a rock, you got to remember hitting your hand with a rock so you don't do it again or, you know, whatever the case. But I think it's just the way we're wired. And then, you know, gosh, I just don't rest on my successes. Like I, I harvest an animal and boy, I'm, I'm out the next day working hard. And I always think, you know, I'm so fortunate and so happy to be successful. It's just incredible. It's like reaching your goals. It's the pinnacle of the mountain. It feels so good. But I try not to rest on that. I try not to, um, you know, uh, if I just sit back and think about how good I am and, you know, how how good I killed that animal and what, you know, like all of a sudden I'm not putting in the work for the next one. And every hunt you have to prove yourself again, you know, but I just, I, I love this endeavor, this sport, this, you know, whatever you want to call it, this, this bow hunting. Uh, it's just been so positive for my life to, to have passion and to have adventure man, it's just incredible. I'm just a blue collar construction worker and I've been able to figure it out where I just have these amazing adventures. And sure, there's always somebody that's doing, you know, something on another level or, you know, not even another level, but just like, you know, there's sheep hunters out there and there's, um, uh, you know, there's always, there's always somebody doing something that you look at and go, man, I wish I could do that. But, you know, there's so much opportunity out there for the blue collar bow hunter on these public land tags and and it just takes effort and dedication and then you know these these adventures man i mean this is this is the reason to live life and everybody finds you know a different passion or something that they love but i have found backcountry bow hunting it's just my thing i just um i love being out there i love the challenge i love pushing myself 
and then to just live this this adventurous life it just it is so fulfilling like i just come back and think man i am really doing it like that it was the coolest 10 days of my life chasing these bull elk or chasing these bucks and and, and what i get to see you know to be part of you know to put in all this hard work and then see that just epic action hunting um, I mean, that's what I truly love, those ad- adrenaline and just the chances at these things and playing the game and being in close. I, there is nothing more exciting or more thrilling in this life that I've found than than playing with your bow and arrow and trying to get close to this switched-on quarry or whatever it is, elk or antelope or mule deer. So, I, man, it's just absolutely awesome. So I come back from these these hunts or these adventures, I mean, totally fulfilled, and it it really gives me perspective on my life. And I know I talk a lot about being a better person and better husband, better father. And, um, you know, I have been gone a lot and I've had the support of my family, but, and and now it's really about getting back and being the, the absolute best dad I can, best husband I can, taking care of my work, you know, catching up there, making sure, you know, I've got a house going right now, making sure everything's going smooth there. Um, so yeah, just kind of catching up, taking care of my responsibilities, and um, it feels really good. You know, I was able to go out and have my have my adventure and and uh, have the support of everybody, and now it's time for me to do my part. And so, you know, I I missed quite a few volleyball games, so now I'm back in the volleyball circuit with both daughters, and and um, I just want to spend quality time with them. I mean, the meaning behind life, you know. I, it is adventure and challenging yourself. It's also family and friends, man. I mean, family and friends is absolutely everything. And um, it, it is true enjoyment in life to spend quality time with family and friends. And I just, I mean, I love my family more than anything. And so to spend quality time with my girls, plan another vacation with them, you know, try to hang out with them and, and do some fun things. We got some hunting coming up I'm really looking forward to. And, and, um, just trying to do everything I can. These girls are going to be raised and and um, and gone, building lives of their own before I know it. And you know, hopefully, I can continue to be a part of those lives, and we can find some things we enjoy together. But um, time is precious, and so family and friends, and and with friends, man, I've been able to share some great hunts with friends, and I think that's the the biggest bonding moment for me. Like the people I keep in touch with, and and. Um, my best friends or, or my hunting partners because we both enjoy the same thing and we end up, you know, it's not very often that you can go out with a buddy and spend a week together. You just don't do it unless you're going bow hunting or, you know, maybe you're going fishing or something like that. But um, going hunting with my buddies and spending this quality time, I've had so many laughs and good times and uh, adventure, epic action. Uh, it's so fun. I, I love doing solo hunts, but I love sharing these hunts with friends as well. And, and as I get older, I, I tend to do less of the solo hunting and more of hunting with buddies just to share the experience. And I love being part of their success and helping making them better. You know, I've, um, you know, Dan this year, he harvested that really good mule deer in Wyoming. Um, I just took off from this elk hunt. I just saw he killed a really nice Montana mule deer. And, uh, then he called me last night and, uh, had harvested a, a, a bull in that spot that we were hunting in Montana. Um, at least got a good shot on a bull. He has to recover him this morning, but, uh, just pump for him. Uh, my buddy, Sean from Hawaii, we had the Hawaii guys down here. Um, 
and uh, uh, Sean he harvested an antelope, and uh, so that was a really cool stock. And and then um, we were able to get him a bull right before he left, um, which was really cool. So he'll be bringing home some elk meat. What other buddies have I been hunting with here? You know, um, cameraman Logan. He's always fun to hang out with. But um, yeah, spending this quality time with friends is just awesome. So elk season—that's what this podcast is all about—is elk hunting. Um. Yeah, let's see. So, finished up those mule deer hunts, came back for a couple days, had to get some work done. You know, I kind of play catch up in between. And then, um, yeah, I had this out of state elk tag. And so, um, headed down there. I had the Hawaii guys with me. I had Dan with me. I'd scouted this unit really hard. So, I knew there was good elk numbers in there. But it's just, you just got to get in there in September and see what's going on. Um, Hawaii guys had to hunt, you know, while I had that couple days of work, they hunted around here in some of my local spots and they did good. They were getting into elk and then we rolled on this hunt and, um, they did great. They were keeping into elk. Everybody was getting into bulls and, um, I kind of hunted with, um, Dan and we'd, um, we spotted a bull right away or a couple bulls right away. Man, it's just playing the game so good. With these elk, it's so about getting that wind right, you know. You just have to have a consistent wind and uh getting that wind right and that higher understanding of that wind that I tell you guys about, that higher understanding of how the winds move through the mountains. And and really it's just paying attention to the winds all the time and then trying to decide if that's a thermal or a directional. And there's some place in the mountains that just swirls around. I got a spot locally here that I probably dove down in this basin 10 times. And I think I've been winded 10 times. Like you just can't go into this thing. It's the lee wind side and the wind just swirls in there. And now that I know that, I stay up high because there's always elk in there. And I wait till they come out of the drainage into a good wind face. And then I'll make a play on them. But um, anyways, trying to understand that wind, you know, we 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 started turning up bulls right away and um, good six points right away. And, um, had this spot in the mountains where we found a, a, a pretty good herd, um, one really good shooter bull. We had that thing. We crept in with a good win. And that night we had like a, a thermal coming down the draw and it was just perfect. And we snuck up there and there's elk everywhere. And eventually you just got to go get into the elk. And you guys know my tactics for elk. Um, it's not the most popular ones out there, you know, because I, I, I just don't call anymore. I just don't even, I don't even bring calls with me. I just move on the herd. I don't let them know I'm there. But, but all of these tactics, they all work for calling too. And I've probably called a hundred bulls in my bow hunting career, mostly in, in my younger years. That's how I used to hunt them. And, and these tactics hold true for hunting bulls while calling or just while stalking just trying to creep in and get in close and then make a couple calls from the right spot. I always thought calling it it's more about where you make the sounds from than the sounds you make. Like being at a saddle that they're moving towards or being in the timber they're headed towards. That bull will just come check you out or getting really close to his cows and threatening them and making a bugle or getting really close to his cows and making a couple soft cow calls as your first call, then he comes over to come check out that cow. So these same tactics hold true, but I really, I don't carry any calls with me anymore. I just, I hunt them all spot and stock. I hunt them, I like to hunt them in their feeding features. And so, you know, I'll, I'll try to get on them morning and night. 
And then, you know, I'll try to coyote the herd in the morning and follow him to their bed. If I can bed that bull in an exact spot and I know where he is, then I feel comfortable creeping in with a good wind and trying to make something happen and get into range. But if not, then I'll just put them away and then I'll be out that evening. And when they come out in the feeding feature, I'll go make a play. But these bulls, man, they just have a knack for making the right move. I mean, we would get in range of the cows. We had this nice six-point bull. He came by me at like 55 yards that night on that first bull I was telling you guys about. Bugling like crazy, came through, you know, in a and just didn't offer a shooting window. And I, I decided sometimes I'll make the, the only call I make is you. And that's when I'm at full draw looking to shoot that thing. You know, it's like just to get them to stop. But sometimes I won't even make a cow call and I'll just let the situation develop. I, because if I stop him with the cow call, it's all or none right there. And if I don't stop him in the right window, then he's on to me. He knows I'm there or, you know, maybe he goes back to being a bull, but maybe he kind of, you know, spooks off a bit or you know decides that isn't a cow down there making that sound or whatever the case is but so we um started hunting bulls and man we were just on them and finding good six-point bulls the ones we're looking to kill and uh making plays in the mountains and just you know just trying to make it come together and couldn't really get a a shot or anything god we had one bull one night really nice bull big threes and uh, we were watching a bull on the far timbered hillside, and then we had one way up, um, oh, on the, the ridge up there at about 9,500 feet. And um, in that big timbered hillside, it'd take a day to get over there, there was a really nice bull. He was just hanging in the kind of thicker stuff and coming out in the slide. And so we we're trying to make a plan of how, we get on, how we'll get on him. And then um, all of a sudden, you know, 250 yards away, you know, I see a bull that comes out. He's got these big threes. He's a great big six point. He's got a handful of cows. We got a steady wind up there and we start creeping into this thing. And man, if it can go wrong, it will. So we creep in and we get to the edge of the meadow and all of a sudden we have the elk and they're coming at us. They don't see us and kneel down and we don't see the bull yet, but we see the cows and they're all just right in range, 40, 50 yards, just feeding around. No idea we're there. And we have a, a chickmunk. Is it is it chipmunk or chickmunk? I, I, I'm such an idiot. I don't know which one. But it, a chickmunk, that doesn't sound right either. Anyways, we have this chipmunk. And um, God, we're just sitting there still and kneeling. And all of a sudden, this chipmunk starts to go nuts. Just yipping at us and yiping at us. And he just won't leave us alone. And pretty soon... Like, the elk are just tuned into their environment. They know that something's not right. And so all of a sudden now they're looking up, and we got a perfect win, haven't moved, and now they're just getting nervous. And they end up busting out of there and taking that bull, you know, right when that bull is going to come into range. So it's just like if it can go wrong, it totally does, you know. Um, so many scenarios like that. But all you can do is you just play your best move. And I love elk hunting because elk are meant to be hunted aggressive. You got to go get into them, you know. You got to go see if you can get into range. But it's like this this fine line or this dance between trying to get into them and then when you freeze and when you hold up and and definitely not stalking recklessly. Like you can't, one elk catches you, the whole scenario blows up. And it may have taken you who knows how many miles, six miles in, six miles out, just to get that encounter. So elk hunting, you have to rely upon your skills so much and just getting you in close and rely upon your instincts to make the right moves. 
but it it's all about freezing when they looking at you when they're looking at you seeing them before they see you and I did a really good job this season I had a a couple mistakes that I'll talk about but for the most part making good plays so that first bowl we found um you know we actually backed out that night the elk didn't know we were there we had that that bowl within 100 yards right the last light with his cows right there backed out of there we went in the next morning got on them again there's another six point bull in there played the ridge tried to cut them off the fog came in the rain came in and you know we just we weren't able to cut them off but we heard them bugling in the timber and then we didn't take chase we backed out of there and so we're just leaving these elk where they're at and we're making plays and trying to get close but if it doesn't come together back out of there and leave those elk and then you can get on them the next day and so we were doing a really good job of that throughout the hunt but just started getting on elk and having close calls and then um gosh we were into it handful of days and um it's weird like the elk they you know at least in my home valley and in around places like this it seems like it gets late in the, the season the feed burns off up high and we were later september i didn't start hunting them till gosh it's 17th or 18th or something like that of september maybe it's the 15th Let's see, the hunt ended on the 14th. Yeah, I think it was 17th or 18th of September. And um, as it got later in the hunt, by about the 25th or so or 22nd, these bulls, the feed starts to burn off up high in the mountains. And it seems like these bulls drop down and then group up and they're looking for second cycle estrus cows. And so, you know, we were hunting the mountains hard and getting into good bulls. But all of a sudden we started to see these elk pile off these these mountain range and they're going down into this sagebrush flat down there and there's just there's there's nobody really on them but there's you know some really good bulls that are dropping down to this sage so the next morning we kind of find a vantage point and there isn't a real good spot to glass this sage it's just kind of flat and rolling but it's it's like one of those things once you get out there you know there's a bunch of coolies and draws and features and really it's like hunting these antelope or hunting these these elk like they're antelope you're hunting them in the wide open but, you know, it's we were still uh, hunting and, and making plays in the mountains, but we would also keep our eyes open on the sage flats. Like uh, there's good bulls that are starting to group up down there, and if nobody's on them and they're in a good spot, we'll make a play. And so um, we spot this herd down in the sage flat, and it's a big herd. It's like I don't know, 75 elk maybe, maybe even 100. And uh, there's a couple shooter bulls in there. There's this real wide one and then this real tall one, nice six points. And they're just on public land just cruising. And it's like, man, well, I'm not afraid to hunt anything in the wide open. In fact, the more open it is, the more I like it, you know. And so we see these things and we they kind of move out. And um, so, so I kind of come at them um, one direction. I just start making a play on this big herd and just traveling with them and it – at one point, I crept in, and I, I had the satellite bulls I could have shot. There was a bunch of satellite bulls in there, but I didn't know where the herd bulls were. And they were actually, like, you have this deal when you're coming over a rise where you can see the elk that are out further, but you can't see the elk closer because you can't come over the rise far enough or you expose yourself coming over the rise, so you just have to freeze. So I think I had some of those herd bulls in range. But I couldn't come up any higher. I had four or five satellites bedded on the far hill looking at me. And then a couple satellites I could have shot, but everything was pretty much in range. And all of a sudden, the scenario kind of blew up a little bit. I don't know if a, an elk got nervous or something. They definitely didn't spook. They just all kind of got up from their beds and then started feeding down this big draw again. So here I go again. After crawling in and getting in range, it didn't come together. 
I back out, and then I just start coyote in the herd again, keeping a good wind on my side, watching them, waiting for a moment to creep in, and I keep with them for, you know, they didn't move too far, maybe a half a mile or so, and and um, then they start bedding down again. The bulls are rotting and bugling, and so, um, you know, I start creeping in, and it was, uh, it's one of those stocks where you kind of see them out there, and you're like, you know, can I get there? And it's like, well, if I can make it over this one rise and there's a little dip there, I think I could get close. But I mean, to get over that rise, I mean, I had to belly crawl and it was, I had, you know, elk that were staring in my direction and I was exposed even though I was in the sage. So I just had to move like a snail, move my bow in front of me, just drag my body, you know, and then I could get, you know, behind the rise where I could crawl. But I pretty much, I mean, I think I was on these elk for like four hours. Um, I belly crawled so much, my knees, my elbows were so sore. And I don't do a lot of belly crawling. Like, I'll belly crawl. Like, you have to do what's necessary. You have to get low enough to where things can't see you. So, you know, if you got to crouch down and walk, you crouch down. If you got to crawl, you crawl. If you got to belly crawl, you belly crawl. But I just know it's kind of a losing endeavor. Belly crawling in, like, um, you know, you also have to get up to your knees to get a shot, and a lot of times that's when it blows up, especially when you're belly crawling into 40, 50 yards or whatever. But in this case, you know, there was a little ridge line that I could get to, and then I could kind of get up to my knees. So um, I, I was all in, and, and you know, a lot of times I'll just wait for him to get to a better spot. But, I you know, I've got these couple shooter bulls, and you put a great big six-point bull in front of me, like I'll, I'll do about whatever. You tell me I got a belly crawl for 400 yards, like, all right, let's get started, you know. But just exhausting. It's like a yoga pose the whole time and just trying to keep low enough and not move. And then a lot of times throughout the stock, an elk gets up and he's looking your way. And you just got to freeze. So you'll spend 15 minutes just frozen in that spot and then eventually forget about you or doesn't see anything and goes back to being an elk, maybe beds down again. So I, I crept into this herd and um, got into the herd, able to get up to my knees and get my bow up. And I, I just wait. I'm really patient. I don't, you know, there's 12 elk that are looking in my direction but I just wait till nothing's looking my way or till their heads are turned. And when I can see, like, none of the pressure is on me. And then I move, like, the hands of the clock to get my bow set up, to get to my knees, and then just come up slow. And I'm exposed in the open in bow range, but I'm moving so slow. And then I get in position, and then they just can't pick me out because then I'm not moving, you know. But this is so crucial on stalking animals and closing the deal on, on elk, on deer, on whatever i mean this this latest hunt this is my first hunt i'm talking about we'll go to the to the latest hunt that i just had in my home state but um on that hunt you know you you just can't the those elk they've been hunted it's a higher pressure area they've been chased by humans they know what humans are those elk are on another level and they live in the open and they really rely upon their eyesight and man if they catch any movement if they catch anything you know they're busted and out of there way at we had one I filmed this last hunt, um, but we had one bull, and uh, God, it was the first day, first night, we found a good six-point, roll down, get into him, get into bow range of the cows, all the cows are feeding at us, which is just killer, and then all of a sudden, the bull shows up with the cows, here he is, this giant six-point, and he doesn't walk right where the cows does, he kind of walks in front of us, and I looked over at my cameraman, gave him the thumbs up, and he gave me the thumbs up like he had him. And uh, the bull scraped a tree and then walked out broadside. So I drew back on him. He was right in my wheelhouse. And as soon as I get to full dry here, my cameraman goes, I don't got him. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh. 
And so then I had to let down my bow, but to draw my bow and then let down my bow just created too much movement. Those cows caught me and blew up the whole scenario. So my point is you just can't get away with anything. And so if those elk are looking at you, you can't hardly get drawn. Now, there are some instances where the the gig's up. The elk all know you're there and they're still standing in range and you try to get drawn slowly and try to get your pin on an elk. But for the most part, once they know you're there, once they catch that movement, they blow up and they're out of there. And you think those bulls would be so focused on rutting and sometimes they are in lower pressure areas. But those elk I'm hunting, man, those bulls I'm hunting, they are switched on. They don't put up with anything. They'll walk away from the herd and if they see movement, they're out of there. They know we're hunting them. So... um. Anyways, we're we're in Idaho, can't get away from with movement. I finally get to my knees, I get my bow up. Now, there's two to three bulls all shooting the herd. There's two big ones, a wide one and a tall one. There's also like a good six point solid six. And that solid six point is the closest one to me. And um he's fairly close to me, he's bedded, and I'm I'm thinking if I'm gonna shoot this bull, I'm thinking, you know, I'm in tight. I got to go for the gold. Like, I, I got a chance to kill a real giant bull here. There's two big ones in there. I'm going to roll the dice. If I don't kill one of these things, that's fine. But I'm going to roll the dice on one of these two big ones. And um, sure enough, that wide one comes around and gets rutting a cow and comes around. He's a little bit further than the other six point, but it's time to go for the gold, you know. And I'm I'm in close. I mean, I've got, you know, cows at, at 30, 40 yards, and then I've got, you know, bulls at 50 60 yards and then you know this big wide bull comes over and gives me a good shot and I wait for the right angle the right time to draw nothing knows I'm there quartered away put one in him sat on my shot executed put one in him none of those elk knew I was there that elk he ran around the whole herd 100 miles an hour ran around the whole herd and then tipped over right there dead within about 15 seconds oh man I mean um so wild when it comes together like that and and you guys know you know you know I had you know we talked about my mule deer failure this year well last year's elk season was a failure to me I hunted new spots and then I had that rest not fall away the last day of the season on a good six point last year was the first year I ate an elk tag and I don't know how many years a dozen years or so and you know it, it hurt and it hurt all year long. And that's all I thought about, you know, and I, 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 I studied, I put in the research, my shooting, uh, physical fitness, put in everything into it. But I, I really, you know, I've killed a bunch of good bulls over the years, but I, I just, you know, I, I love chasing those big, heavy six points, like big real deal bulls. And, um, you know, not settling this year and looking for my gold bull and then being able to arrow one just means the world to me, man. I mean, um, it's redemption, proven to myself I can do it again. Um, but yeah, able to arrow this nice six point. He's a wide sucker, just a really nice, pretty long tined. I think he's like a six by eight. He's like a six by seven frame, and then he's got a little couple inch dropper off one of his beams. Um, just an just an absolute awesome bull, and uh, killed him in the wide open in the sage. Uh, but you know, I'll hunt elk wherever they're at, and um, just happen to be where they were at and on public ground, and able to get a good arrow. And I'm so so stoked. My goal for this year was to kill one good bull between the states. So I stayed. I helped Dan hunt. Uh, Dan's such a good hunting partner. I love hunting with that guy. And uh, elk, if anything, is his kryptonite. Oh, excuse me. Just murdering some coffee here as I'm doing this. It's kind of in the AM. 
But uh, yeah, if, if anything, elk or Dan's kryptonite, he is such a good elk hunter. He's always getting into him. And I say things just fall apart and they're the most thrilling animal to hunt. And Dan's killed a bunch of good bulls. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, he just um, he has a tougher time with those than he does mule deer or antelope. I'll say that, you know, but uh, he loves to hunt them and he's a great elk hunter and he's great at executing a shot. And like I say, I just heard last night he arrowed a good six point. So stoked for that guy, man. He has been grinding over there. Um, so really pumped for him. But yeah, um, I, I stayed, helped Dan out. And um, yeah, he had some close calls. He had. One bully missed it at like uh, 50 yards or so. He was just set up perfect and uh, got some wind drift in front of the chest of the bull and missed the thing clean. You know, he was so upset. But there's nothing you can do. You just got to get back on that horse and get hunting. But got that bull out, helped Dan for a while, and then um, had to come back. The Hawaii guys were still here. So we um, we went up. We took uh, Sean up. Uh, Robin had to take off. You know, um. Yeah, I really wanted Robin to be successful this year. And then we had another one of their buddies out, but um, just wasn't in the cards. And Robin had a bunch of close encounters, got on a bunch of good bulls. And then his last night here, he got into the party, you know, and that's when you kill him. He was in, he said there was like, I think he said there was like six different six points in there. They were running everywhere. And I think uh, he got a little greedier. Same thing I did. He was just going for the gold. He was going for the big one out there because he was so big and he had an opportunity at him. So he was passing other bulls that he would have been happy with, you know, for the entire hunt to go for the big guy. So he rolled the dice and came up a little short on his last night. And he he wanted to change his flight so bad because he was just into the party and wanted to stay, but just had too many responsibilities he had to get back and take care of. So he had to fly out. Sean stayed for a little while longer. Um, yeah, we got into some elk. He finally ended up arrowing a good bull, and so super stoked for him. Uh, me, him, and Dan packed that thing out, and, and uh, then I had to come back, take care of some work, some responsibilities, and uh, so I, I got back, started taking care of that, and then I had this filmed hunt and um, that I was going to do in Montana. And... Um, film hunts it's a love-hate relationship (laughs) it's I just love hunting so much and I love getting close and getting in action and like I say bulls you know they were my goal this year they a big part of my goal of my season was to kill good six-point bulls and so like you're you're out there and all of a sudden you got this added degree of difficulty and let me just be honest with you filming is made for like epic hunting it's made for private ranches you don't see too much public land bow hunting filming like, um, there's some guys out there doing it and there's some guys that are successful at it, but the majority of the stuff you see is like, you know, buying a hunt on a private land ranch and then you're just into the elk all the time. And then you can have the added degree, uh, the added difficulty degree, you know, with a cameraman because you get enough opportunities and the elk are low pressured, you know, they, they don't know humans are hunting them as much. Now I'm not saying it's easy off off private lands. I'm that's not what I'm saying. You still got to hunt elk. You still got to get into them, get it done. But it's a heck of a lot easier than battling everybody on public ground and then trying to film it. Sometimes I just feel like I'm like it's a losing endeavor and I know I'm costing myself animals or size. And so I struggle with it at times and then it's frustrating when it's not me that messes up an encounter. It's my cameraman, you know. And I, you know, 
probably the reason I didn't fill out in Wyoming. I'm not to blame it on my camera. I made tons of mistakes there too. Like we're a team. We're there to get the footage. We're there to get the film and, and you just kind of set your mind to it. And it is really fun to be able to share it with you guys, uh, share it with my family and friends and be able to watch the hunt and then have it for all the time. So, I mean, I am really proud of what I put together. I just couldn't hunt it. I, I couldn't film every hunt. And it's, it is so difficult out there. I mean, I, I just, I mean, just the noise alone trying to sneak up on a bull and I don't call. So like, we're not just set up calling where a bull walks into us. We've got to play the game and coyote with them and try not to get seen with two people rather than one and try to set ourselves up right or creep in on a ridgeline. And then we got to come over the top and try to shoot that thing. It is just extremely difficult. I find myself getting a little frustrated. I need to be better with my attitude at times. I was driving and pushing so hard. I was unsuccessful on that Wyoming filmed hunt. And now I'm into my Montana elk hunt. And and I'm I'm having a tough time finding success. So, you know, there was definitely a couple F bombs there and um I was I was riding a little higher strung than I should be. I did just relax and enjoy the experience and I just said it's either gonna happen or it's not, you know, but I am gonna enjoy the elk hunting out here. It's the best elk hunting I've ever seen. My well, I had a new cameraman, so I'm kinda training him from scratch as far as stalking and what moves he can make from the back position. And he's a hunter, but he's a twenty year old kid that doesn't have a ton of experience and so I've gotta teach him how to stalk and to move like I move, make less noise than me you know when he when he's doing um when we're on the stock trying to kill an elk that's what he's focused on it's not getting you know b-roll we can get that anytime um you know you do want to capture the stock and capture everything in real time but you know what i mean you can't be getting to the side of me trying to get a shot when we're trying to sneak up on an elk it just doesn't work you got to be focused on the on, on um doing what i do but extremely extremely difficult but i had a good kid with a good attitude and um so yeah, we just we we went for it. Okay, guys, I I drank too much coffee. I'm gonna pick up where I left off here. Um, I gotta go relieve myself, or <laughs> or I I might just explode here on this chair. So hold on one sec. We're gonna take a quick break. All right, I'm back. Uh, well, we got a little break in the show. I just want to take a minute here and thank Evolution Outdoors for their support. Uh, sponsoring the podcast evolution outdoors is a new broadhead company and so did a podcast with them um man i mean what a great broadhead and so i tested them this season um so far i've ran them through um two elk i ran the fixed blade through one and the expandable through one and uh, they they both perform flawlessly i really think this is one of the best broadhead designs on the market and uh, I'm just walking around with an extreme amount of confidence. They're really forgiving. Um, like I said, I like their fixed. I like their expandable. They're just both great heads. So if you're in the market for some new broadheads, make sure to check them out. Evolution Outdoors. Okay. So where was I at? I was whining about taking a cameraman, right? Or complaining about how tough it is. But, uh, you know, I took on this challenge and it's like... Um, yeah, I really want to come through with with the Eastmans. They have so much invested paying the cameraman, paying the the permits, and then you know, I I just um I just want to come through and improve myself. So we did this elk hunt, and I'm really excited to capture it. I just want to do it like I have been, where I only choose one or two hunts a year, and then the other ones I get to just focus on the hunt and enjoying that. Maybe doing some of these live podcasts or doing an Instagram story, but it's really tough to do it all. So. Anyways, I, 
cameraman it's tough let's let's start i show up in this spot and i haven't hunted it for a couple years but i love this place man i mean it is full of elk it's october uh so a lot of the people or the pressure's gone um the elk are still rutting like crazy and so we start cruising around checking some spots and man i'm just coming up empty i can't hardly find an elk i found three satellite bulls nothing i wanted to shoot start cruising around found a rattlesnake it's always fun right you know just buzzworm right next to you just like holy cow never seen me jump so high seeing those things but uh yeah saw saw a buzzworm and then just can't seem to quite get the elk but like the the roads have just cleared up like the mud's just cleared up where you can kind of get back to some different terrain and so kind of get back start checking my spots can't turn up any elk and then you know finally i i start finding a few elk and um Every group of cows I, I find has a nice six-point bull. And so we got that encounter. Like I said, cameraman didn't have him in focus. And, you know, in that situation, I got a little frustrated. I used an F-bomb, and that's on film for everybody to enjoy. It's just, like, great. just captures you at your lowest moment sometimes where you're just, you know, and I, I don't want – I'm always happy for the encounter and happy I'm bow hunting and happy for the challenge, you know. And, and sometimes my frustration just comes out. I wanted success too too much, you know, and so screwed up. He didn't get it on camera. And, and if actually, like, I put the blame on him for not having it on film, but really the blame is solely on me. Like, I looked over and got a thumbs up, but I knew the bull was coming to a dicey spot. And I should have just waited. Me drawing my bow meant I was all in. It was either going to happen right then or not. And I saw a window and I had a great shot at him and I thought it was all going to work out. But in hindsight, that bull probably would have, he was going to chase off another satellite bull. He would have returned back to his cows. He would have been right in front of us, would have been better footage. And it's just like sometimes just being patient and not making yourself seen makes all the difference. So like like I may say that it was his mistake not having, but it, I mean, really, it comes down to, to me and trying to force it in there and showing more patience and just letting situations develop. When you have the wind right, you can just be patient. Let things develop. We had plenty of light left. We had a half an hour of light left. So, I mean ultimately you know it wasn't his fault and he did his job and we were committed to the film I could have shot that bull just paid him for his film days or whatever you know I could have just shot the bull and had a bull and said well that's the deal he didn't have him on film I I got my bull but I I didn't I'm committed to the film and so it was a a really nice six point that you know ended up spooking away because after I got drawn the cows saw me and after I let down the cows got spooky and got out of there before I could get a shot at them um got more coffee so hopefully i don't gotta take another pee break um hoping to get through this and not make it too long like these solo ones i really love doing them but you know i definitely like that live hunt i think that thing was what was it like three hours of live hunting so thanks so much for sitting through it uh i want to do more of them more concise i swear i can get better at it but um so got that encounter and it's just good hunting around like we're not into epic hunting elk everywhere but it seems like every morning and night we're finding a bull and then the key is to try to get into him and create an encounter so a lot of times when you're putting a bull to bed then that's where you're hunting in the evening because you know there's a bull there you don't got to start over and go find another one so we're just trying to keep on them we got on this really good 310 310 320 bull um had a bunch of cows we spotted one night and then got on them in the morning and man well we cut those things off cut them off going back into the trees sneaking around them could have shot a smaller bull there and 
oh, I almost had that that bigger six point. The smaller 310 was running the herd, and then the 320 satellite was working in, and we had them cut off at one point, and um, I tried to get drawn on them and kind of come over the ridge. And when I say get drawn and come over the ridge, it's, see, I'm, I can't, let's see, on this one, I'm trying to remember if I drew and then kind of tried to stand up slowly, I think is what happened. Just trying to get my arrow over the brush line. So tough, like even to get a range and to to get a range, you have to expose yourself over the grass. And there's so much dead grass, or it's not even dead grass. It's like this dead mustard seed stuff that's really dry and sits really high. Like sometimes it's three, four feet off the ground. And so you can see the bull and the bull's body and his horns and his head, but it's so tough to get a range. A lot of times I'll range the horns and that'll give me a good range. And I did have a range mistake on this hunt. I'll get into that. So we cut these elk off. I try to get drawn and come up on that bull, end up busting them. Um, That bull, like I say, they're on it. Like none of the cows could see me. That one bull was crossing. At one point he was looking away. Again, just being more patient, waiting to to where eyes aren't on me or where I can get away with it. But I drew and I tried to come up. We tried to get him on film and uh, that bull barked at us and then took the whole herd and they went and spooked over. And we actually got on another bull that morning, sounded like a dragon of a bull. Uh, had a real deep bugle. We kind of followed his bugle for a while, and then he kind of quieted up, and we knew he was in the thick cover. I didn't want to blow him out. So we decided to go back and wait, and then we'll dive back in on him in the evening. And actually, those two bulls, at 310, 320, they probably went like a mile. That one bull had barked, and then I actually saw where they put away, and they were bugling back and forth with this dragon bull. So we're just in them, man. I mean, this is the action you're looking for. And sometimes elk hunting, I mean, you search three, four, five days just to get into this kind of action, but we're in them. So we go back up. We're going to take the middle of the day off, and kind of just resting, having some lunch. You know, it's elk hunting. Morning and nights are good. You know, middle of the day, if you know where one's bedded or if you're able to see some, it's a good move. But for the most part, we're just waiting for the evening for this bull to come back out and bugle. And then all of a sudden, here it is. I spot some elk, you know, down in another feature off another drainage. And so then we're down in there the middle of the day. And then we start getting into such epic elk hunting down there or we see so much sign. Then we dive in there and forget about the other couple bulls. And, uh, man, I mean, we're just getting good plays on bulls. We're getting really close, um, had a really close encounter with the herd, but it's, it's always, those bulls are just one step in front of you. Like getting into range is one thing, getting a shot's another thing. Like, um, all of a sudden the, the bull will just be on the other side of the cows or you can't find the bull, even though you got a cow at 40 yards and you're frozen there and you're just hoping that bull come check her out or come see her. So we're just playing the game. We're hunting elk. We're trying not to blow anything up. Uh, but we're also trying to be aggressive and get in and get a shot. And, um, yeah, we, I had one missed range on a, on a bull that I was telling you guys about. God dang, I had this bull. Um, epic elk hunting. And, and this isn't just like we find, we found where the freaking party was. And the deal is, is the snow came in. And so big snowstorm dropped you know, six inches of snow or whatever, got super nuclear cold. It was getting down to like single digits at night and the highs were only in the twenties. Um, so it was cold. It was like November mule deer hunting. Like you had to pack on all the layers you had, but what it did is it scared everybody off. And then that moisture from the snow, anytime it melt on that road, it mudded up. So we were almost stuck in there, but we were the only ones in there. We had the whole entire place to ourselves. And we were just in the party of elk. And I'm not talking like one herd with a couple bulls and three satellite bulls. Like that, there was that there. T- 
times like eight. Like there was big parties. Like there was elk I couldn't even get to for a couple days there. The elk hunting. I I'm, I'm sure I've seen better elk hunting, but I can't remember when. I mean, so many good six points ripping around here and there, and we had it all to ourselves. We couldn't move around from the truck at all. Like uh, the truck was pretty much stuck. We could get up to the main road was about it. Like there was one day we really couldn't get anywhere. But even just we we camped in the right location. We moved around, camped in the elk where we had seen a few elk, and this like other elk just lead to seeing elk leads to other elk to other elk to other elk i've always believed that like sometimes if you see a satellite group of bulls if you go in there you'll find the herd that those things are around and likewise you find in these herds and then you're you're just diving into country further and further and then that herd and then all of a sudden you see another herd or there's another one down there and man i i don't know it was just Elk are so nomadic by nature that you have to just keep pushing in these ridge lines and these hunts and these vantage points and looking for them. And sometimes you turn up a herd with a bull and you get a play and, you know, it can be a little slow or you turn up nothing. But every once in a while, you find the super party. You find where all those elk are and where all of them are mingling. And that's what we were in. And we were camped in it. Uh, and the only guys there is just absolutely insane, man. I passed on some really good bulls. I didn't settle. Um, you know, passed on some of those satellite six points that years past I would have shot or you get an opportunity late in the hunt or you think, well, it'll make a film, you know, which, which isn't the reason to shoot anything. That's, I shouldn't even say that, but it is like, um, you know, if you kill a nice six point, it, it makes a film that you can share with everybody and then you can share all that epic footage. But again, you just want to shoot a bowl that you're happy with. I want to be happy at the end of the year. I don't want to feel like I settled in. Not that anybody should should feel bad for it. everybody's on a different level and has different goals in mind and I just know for me I've killed enough bulls with my bow that for me it's just got to be a mature big six point now I don't need it to be a 350 inch bull like I, I just need a good one like a good mature heavy beam six point real deal you know as I call them but some of these satellite six points will sure test you I had a six by seven one night and he was super tall God, he was on the edge. I, I almost went and shot that bull. He was in the perfect spot, but I ended up passing on him. I knew it was good hunting, and we're just going to continue to grind, and we're going to get a chance at a good bull. So that's exactly what we did. Um, and the one I missed the the one night, oh, it's, it's, it should have been a dead bull. It was like a, a seven by eight or a... You know, it wasn't the biggest bull in the world, but he had a couple extras off his main beam back there and just a pretty looking one. In fact, I have a skyline shot of him with uh, the sunset and the backdrop and made a play up a draw on this bull. Um, you know, we'd, we'd just been on another bull and I gra- glassed across the drainage and caught this one and there were satellites in there and cows and we had a good wind and snuck right up the drainage with enough light. And then sure enough, here comes the cow and the bull right behind her. And they're right there feeding. And I mean, they were feeding for like 15 minutes and they couldn't catch us in this open grass. But I could not get a range through. The grass was just dang near impossible. It 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 uh, was just so tall. You know, I could get an arrow over the grass into the bull's body, but I, I couldn't get a range on him. So the cow was in the lead. Finally, I could get a range on the cow. And the cow was right at 60 yards or something. I figured the bull was like three yards closer. I think I dialed for 57 so instantly I don't have a range on the bull. I just figure he's closer and I kind of do an estimation and you know, it's 15 minutes, 20 minutes of being in range. And you're really like, you want to be patient, but you also want to look for your shot. Like things can blow up pretty quick. Another elk can work into us, you know, whatever the case is. It's also getting dark. We're losing light. 
So I made a judgment call. I, I had a range on that cow, 60. I figured the bull was 57. Look back at my cameraman. He's ready to go. Draw back. And man, I mean, I just settled that pin. I picked a hair on that bull and executed. I was beside myself. I, I freaking missed that thing. I missed him clean. I thought for sure I hit him. I went up there and looked for blood. I saw the bull on the next ridge over. Uh, he went over the next ridge. Didn't even really know what spooked him. And he was over there still rutting or whatever. But god dang, I missed that thing clean. Um, It had to be the range. I know I executed my shot like a pro. I, I just, um, it had to be the range. He had to be, maybe he was only a yard closer than that. Maybe he was a few yards. I don't know what it was, but I must have missed my yardage by a couple yards, and I think I shot under him. I'm not sure. Missed him clean. So, you know, it just is what it is. You're just like, man, I'm just beside myself. I hate missing. I hate, you know, messing up an opportunity. And it was such a dead bull. He was right there. Didn't know we were there feeding broadside. But you can't ever have those shots back. All you can do is, like, try to figure out what went wrong or or figure out what you need to do on the next one and pick yourself up and get hunting. And we're in the most epic hunting. There's no reason to be down. There's no reason to be upset. It's it's good hunting, missed a bull, so be it. I still got my tag in my pocket and we're gonna go hard tomorrow. So, you know, we just we just keep hunting and keep into elk and Dan's into elk. He's hunting with me over there. He met me over like a few days after we got started. Really fun to share another hunt with Dan. And Dan's pushing hard. Of course, I got that Idaho bull. Dan really wants to kill one bull this season, so he's going hard. And so we're just trying to figure out the best plays. And, you know, Dan Dan helped me kill that Idaho bull or gave me the stock on that bull or whatever. And um, we go back and forth. And so I'm really trying to help Dan out. I'm trying to give him the best opportunities I can elk everywhere but the elk that we could see or we'd see a good bull sent him after the big 340 bull one time over the edge another bull over that we had spotted so just trying to send him for bulls and trying to help him be successful as well and then um and then i just take off on hunts or take off to a vantage point and then sure enough turn up a bull it's just epic hunting man so good it's what i live for uh you know, whether it's antelope, whether it's mule deer early season, mule deer late, whether it's elk, I mean, New Zealand, Hawaii, you name it. What I love is bow hunting action. I just love being into them, just being into the party and there's a bull and there's a bull. There's so much excitement. It's so thrilling, you know, and you're just, you're trying to do whatever it takes to, to make the right stock, make the right moves and put a perfect arrow into it. But I'd say my funnest thing at bow hunting is getting into them. And I just love that there's this quality of hunting still out there on public ground that if you work hard enough and put in the effort, like you can go get into the absolute elk party, you know, and it may, you may go five days without seeing an elk, but eventually if you spend enough time, you look through your glass enough, you're going to turn up a good elk party and, and good elk action. And, um, man, just every night I would close my eyes and all I could see was bulls bugling in my dreams or in the, in the darkness or whatever. I just, it was so action. It was so off the hook. I just knew I was going to kill a good bull. I just had to keep going, you know? And so we go, um, see that, that morning we start off, let's see, I'm, I'm thinking of the, so we're epic elk action. And then, um, you know, I'm getting down there in days. I got a couple days left that I can hunt. I've got to get back home. I've got some responsibilities here. So even though the season doesn't close till the 20th, my last day I can hunt is the 15th. Uh, actually, I got to be home the 15th. Last day I can hunt is the 14th. Um, so I just know I'm coming down to it. Just got to keep after him, keep making intelligent plays, keep pushing, keep grinding. It'll happen. And, uh, so, um, we just got some epic 
uh, action the one night and the miles was crazy. Um, you know, you're, you're doing elevation, you're doing 2000 to 3000 vertical and you're doing, we're clocking over 15 miles for quite a few days. We did a couple days in a row over 15 in between 15 and 20. And that's just on that stupid little foam pedometer that I don't know if that thing shortcuts me. I think running it shortcuts me a little bit or shorts me a little bit because it doesn't have my stride right. But, you know, it's fairly accurate when both people's phones add up to that. You're like, yeah, well, it's probably pretty close. But, yeah, 15 to 20 miles a day, a bunch of elevation. We are grinding. We got into them that one night. I about shot that bull I was telling you about. I think it was the night that I missed that one. And there's still bulls bugling all around us. But we have walked so far from camp that, you know, we got to walk for half the night to get back. So I, I cut up and we cross a road and then walk back into camp and, God, it took us, you know, I don't know, show up at 11, 12 o'clock, something like that. And, uh, you know, so you go to bed, get a few hours of sleep, and then you're just so excited to get back in that spot. So we start rolling in. We spotted a bull immediately, a nice six point with some cows, and uh, sent Dan in for that one. Dan went in and made a play on that one. And then we kind of dive in this canyon where we had heard, you know, these elk, and it was off the hook the, the other night. We get in there and instantly we start hearing a bugle. And it's a big dragon of a bugle, like just big old bull, just scariest bugle you've ever heard. So we're instantly trying to find that bull. And we come up to some cows, able to get in range. And again, I didn't settle. There was a six point bull with these cows, but I could hear the big one bugling up the hill. And we were in bow range. And so I thought for a second, I'm like, well, we'll just get in close. And that big bull, he may come down here. But as we started sitting there, that big bull, he was just a couple hundred yards away. He was not going to come check out these cows. And the six point that was with him was like a small little spindly satellite six or whatever. So, you know, I didn't want to settle on that bull. And so we actually ended up dropping down the canyon, working around these elk and um, coming up the other side. And then we're coming up the other side and I spot a five point up there. And um we're kind of stuck for this five point. He's a couple hundred yards away, just feeding on this hillside. There's a cow there. So I figure this is the herd with the bull. And then all of a sudden you hear him sound off. He's just a dragon, you know, he's right there just, you know, screaming at you. It doesn't get any more exciting, you know? And then this, the big bull, like that five points over the hill. And then that big bull comes over and he's just screaming at that, that five point chasing him around, trying to chase him away from the herd. He's just not happy with him at all. And uh, finally, they kind of move off a little bit where we can get down and around and come up that hillside where those bulls are. And so it's all just like these patient plays awaiting the elk to kind of move and get in position. I mean, there's times in this hunt where we'd be frozen for an hour, you know, sometimes even longer than that, two hours waiting for the elk to move into position. It's like you take what they give you, but you just don't make yourself seen. You don't like you don't go all in until it's the time to go all in. You just kind of wait and travel with the herd and kind of look for your chance, look for your opportunity. And so that's exactly what we were doing. And the bulls finally moved off and that cow moved off. And so then we're able to make another play up on them. Got just a good steady wind, which just puts a smile on my face. If you got a good wind, you can kill a bull. And uh, so we roll up there and uh, we get up and then we come over the top and, and um, there's that five point and he's right there. And it's like, we've watched this big bull now a time or two come chase off this five point. And so we know that big bulls around and we're hoping he'll come over and chase off that five point again. And so we get right inside that thing's range. Like we're maybe 40 yards from that five point or whatever. And the five point beds down. So we're stuck. We can't see the herd. Can't see the big bull. 
All we can see is this five-point satellite that's blocking the herd that we can't get to. And these satellites, God, they do, like you think you want satellites in a herd, but they really block you from getting into the cows or getting into the herd bull. They're always just betting just off the herd. And it's always like right in your wind approach or right the way you got to come and they can see you, you know. It's just elk hunting. It's it's like, um, it's, it's just extremely tough and you got to hunt them really patiently and take what they give you. So we sit on this five-point bull, and we sit there, you know, 40, 45 yards or something, and we sit there for like a half an hour. Finally, this bull gets up, and he moves back towards the herd. Well, the big bull sees him moving towards the herd, and he starts screaming and coming over to chase off this bull. So all of a sudden, we're in the game, and um, I'm trying to move up, and we're trying not to get seen, and this big bull's up there on the ridge, and he runs off the five-point, and then he's standing up there. And I just keep creeping in and we got good footage of them and trying to get a shot at them. I think at one point, like I had a good range and had them broadside and, um, you know, try to draw back or try to get a shot. And then he starts walking again and had to let down and then he beds. And, um, it's like, okay, well, there's no shot and I can see a couple cow heads and he's just bedded right there. And now we're into like, like mid morning, like it's like 10 o'clock in the morning or 10 30, 11, something like that. And, um, so we creep in and we crawl in and it's noisy. And so as we're kind of creeping in, like, gosh, you just got to be so still, so quiet, so slow. But it's like a muley buck. I know he's bedded there. I can just take my time and we can just see his rack above the grass. And um, we get in, we get right into bow range, but I can't get a range on the bull because I can't come up high enough because there's a cow to his right that's staring in our direction. But I was just patient. I try to get up and I'm trying to get a range through the sticks. I want to know his range so when he stands up, I can shoot him. Um, but I know that I don't want to expose myself and blow up this whole scenario to try to get a range. I'd be better off to let that bull get up, let him feed around, get a range, and then shoot him rather than, than let those cows or let those elk know I'm there. Like the, the element of surprise is so important. If they know somebody's there, or they know something's not right. They don't walk towards that spot. They don't act like normal. Uh, they just, they know something's after them and they kind of get the heck out of there. And so you just want to make yourself, your presence unknown. You just the element of surprise and just let elk be elk we sat there for two and a half hours finally the the one cow put her head down and I was able to come up over the grass and I was able to get a range on that bull and um he was right inside my wheelhouse he was like um he was closer to 65 I think but he was right there where I knew I could make the shot and I had like cows at 40 yards so 35 yards so it was like I couldn't get any closer this is this is my opportunity I'm gonna wait and who knows maybe that bull get up and he'll come check this cow over here on the ridge and give me a decent shot two and a half hours we wait you know switching different positions legs going asleep but just a steady wind in our face the whole time I'm finally able to get a range on the bull and then I watch a cow walk by him and that cow's up on her feet feeding and it's like okay here we go it's gonna happen I'm up to my knees um, got my bow up, rangefinder ready. Uh, I got a range on the bull, but again, I just missed one from a bad range. I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm going to make sure I get a good range on this bull. You know, even even though I know the range and my my sight's dialed, and I know where he is when he stands up, I'm going to hit him with the rangefinder again. I'm going to make sure I don't mess this thing up. Finally, stands up, bugles, you know, but he's facing dead away from me, and I get a good range on him again, so I know I've got the range. But he's just dead away from me, and so I wait, and then he turns to the left, and he starts going to the left, and he's just walking, and same thing, I don't want to blow up the scenario, but he walks right out of my life, he never gives me a shot, never stops, 
It's like, oh my gosh, just sat here for two and a half hours. And now the cow that's 40 yards, she stands up and now she's looking down at us. We're pretty exposed from that cow, especially after she stands. And the bull just walked out of our life. We can't even make a move. We can't even make a play. And we're just frozen there with that cow staring at us. And I'm like, man, this whole thing is going to blow up. And um, finally that cow goes back to feeding and forgets about us and kind of feeds over the ridge. And all of a sudden I can see the bull's horns and he's kind of coming down the same side as we are. He's worked back around towards us. And now he's just feeding around in kind of this tall grass or whatever. Look over at my cameraman. He's got him, you know, get the thumbs up or whatever. And so now I'm just looking for a shot. I think I drew on that bull. I think I drew on him three times. I drew twice on him and then he just twist or turn and I didn't have the right angle and it was just him and that cow right there. The other cows had kind of moved off or were feeding up on the ridge and so I'd draw back and I'd start settling my pin and then he'd twist or turn and then I wouldn't have a good angle on him. I'd have to let down but finally he gave me a good angle and uh, it was a quartering away angle and uh, ran that arrow up through him, put a good shot on him and he ran up and then he stopped up there on the ridge and so gosh, I dialed and I put another one in him up there. Um, so I, I went up and then, you know, the the blood trail is just a, I, it's like you want to see it in the snow, just spraying everywhere. I know I got lungs or whatever. I gave him 30, 45 minutes or whatever. And um, his elk are so tough, you know, you just, you got to put a good shot on them and then, um, you know, give them some time and, and I... I knew I had one arrow in them, and then I went up and found the other arrow, put the second arrow in them, and so um, then it was a good blood trail, and we started following them in, and we didn't make it 20 yards, just barely into the timber, and we jumped that bull. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're kidding me. There's blood everywhere. I was like, man, how in the heck? And um, so we jump them, so we go back, and we back out of there, don't make any noise, and give them, you know, three hours to die in through there. You know, I think the the first shot I had was quartered up in him, but hit him back a little bit. And then second shot was pretty good in through there. You know, when we finally found the bull, it was, it was zipped right through the vitals or whatever, kind of a little bit low, but we go back three hours later and track him down. I'm just, I'm just nervous. It's like, man, these elk are such tough animals, you know, hope the shots hit true that the, um, but start trailing them down. And sure enough, like, where we jumped him, he made it another 50 yards and died. He didn't even make it 100 yards from where I shot him at. Elk are just such tough creatures. And, yeah, the first shot was a touchback. Second shot was a little low. They both zipped through the vitals of that bull. He wasn't going anywhere. But, um, yeah, amazing. He was still alive 30, 45 minutes later or whatever. Um, just super tough animals. But, man, so stoked. I mean, pay dirt in Montana. Like, um, really good, heavy six-point. Um pump beyond belief like when it comes together like that it's just magical so uh so fun hunting these elk i'm just so fortunate uh you know i haven't traveled as much hunting elk as i hunt mule deer but i i've been applying for points and i just want to make sure it's a good tag where i can chase good bulls so um it's fun to go out of state fun to um so forth i just wanted to kill one good bull this year and i ended up with two good bulls um so yeah, a, a bunch of great elk meat and um, so many great memories. And like I say, the fun of bow hunting is the action and getting into them and making plays. And man, I had it in spades. Like this last hunt was just absolutely incredible. The timing was right. Found the elk, just got on them, saw some really nice bulls, saw some absolute hammers, able to harvest a really good bull. Stoked. The only thing to close off that trip is to have Dan kill one. So 
we stayed, packed out that bowl, helped Dan the next day and hunted around. And then I, I had to get back. And so I had to leave Dan. He's, um, he's out there still grinding away. And then I saw a picture come through. He checked in with me. Uh, you know, I definitely want to keep in service with him when he's out there by himself that I'd, you know, help him pack an elk or give him a ride or, you know, if he needs anything, make sure to get a hold of me. But, um, yeah, he harvested a, a good buck and there's some good bucks out there this year. The buck populations are doing good, but he harvested a good buck the one night, really nice wide four point pump for him there. And so got the photo from that. And then, um, yeah, been keeping in touch. And then I think he arrowed that bull last night. So, um, waiting for a picture this morning said it was a nice six point so good on him man uh he's a good hunter and and just been grinding over there so that's the only thing that would complete my my hunt is to have dan kill one and so um i think he's got his bull down so we'll we'll hope for the best and hope he trails him today said it was uh middle of the body quartered up in him um last light and the bull went down a couple hundred yards and bedded down so i think he's hurt pretty bad but yeah pumped what an elk season um what a hunting season like to have the time to go chase this adventure around and then find such epic hunting um it's it's just the it's the coolest so i can't wait i got some other hunts coming up a couple mule deer hunts but i really got to get back to work full time and family full time here and kind of get life back to normal and i may have to be a little bit more of a weekend warrior for these trips um we'll see what i can do and kind of got to get back to the to the podcast here and get recording and and releasing to you guys and and writing and you know your life's just kind of um when you're focused solely on hunting which is what um what I I'd love to do like uh kind of neglect some other parts of your life so I definitely got to get back to those but I'm really looking forward to these muley hunts and then um uh you know I'll probably go down and hunt coos deer in in Arizona uh maybe do some some desert mule deer in Arizona so I still got some great hunts coming up but um yeah we'll kind of get back to life as normal and get back get everything back on track here and then um yeah keep bow hunting but I'm gonna be shooting like a madman running my miles and training um hard work just pays off and um I, I just want to be well prepared when, when the opportunity presents itself or when I do get a few days to go hunt again, man, I want to be ready for it. So super pumped. Um, well, that's an episode guys. Um, thanks a bunch for listening in all the support of the podcast and, um, support of me throughout the season, social media, the Instagram and things. And, um, man, I, I really enjoy doing this and sharing the, sharing my hunts with you guys and, and sharing my journey with you. And I, I love getting on good guests and, and talking about their successes and, and, um, just having these quality conversations about next level bow hunting or next level hunting in general, there's still really good hunting to be had out there. It's just, you know, hunting is so it's one of the most difficult endeavors on planet earth. And if you want success or consistent success, it takes hard work, dedication, you know, discipline, you know, doing all the necessary things to prepare yourself for those opportunities. And even then you still come up short, you know, it's, it's, um, when you take on the toughest challenges, like sometimes you fail. David Goggins is a perfect example. I, I remember, you know, I had a situation that I relate to that when I was 25 or so I was getting ready. I think I was getting ready for like an out of state Nevada hunt or something, you know, one of my first out of state hunts. And I remembered, you know, I was, I was running a bunch and I had taken on these challenges of doing 10 K's and half marathons. And, you know, that year I wanted to train and run a marathon and 
Um, I remember I got all my training in, in between bear season and hunting and things. And then, um, you know, I'd signed up for a marathon and my family came with me and things. They were going to watch and cheer me on. And I remember running that marathon and, you know, I don't think, I don't know if I, that season, if I'd quite put in the work to do a marathon, like I had definitely put in my running miles and things, but you know, I don't, I don't listen to training programs very good. I kind of come up with my own and, um, you know, and, and I don't know if I had enough discipline, you know, back when I was 25, I definitely didn't have the discipline or the dedication that I have now, but I had that fire burning and I knew fitness was such a major component to my success. And so I really wanted to do a marathon and, you know, I started running that marathon and it was quite a bit of elevation gain and loss. It wasn't like a standard marathon, uh, flat or downhill or anything like that and started running it. And, um, I started cramping up so bad around mile 18 miles, you know, and then miles 20 and through 22, um, just brutal, um, tearing me up. I, I could hardly even move. Now in hindsight, I think I could have finished the race, but at about, I think it was 21, 22 miles. I tapped out. I didn't hit the finish line. My family was waiting for me at the finish line. I got a ride to the finish line. It's so embarrassing. It was like this, this huge epic failure. It was like I came, you know, I put in the training and then came down to the day and my legs cramped up and, um, really I, I mean, I quit. I, I could have kept, I could have walked to the finish. I had such a good time going to like, I, I think maybe that's what it was is, you know, I'm trying to remember back. It's been 15 years or whatever, but I may, have, you know, I wasn't the smartest racer and I may have pushed my pace too fast at the start and just burned myself out. But Mile 20, 21, I just had nothing left. My legs were cramped up. I felt like I couldn't go anymore. I couldn't run anymore. Now, I could have walked to the finish. I could have hit a finish line, but that's what wasn't what I set out to do. You know, I wanted to run a marathon. So I failed, show up at the finish line, and I got to see my family. And, man, it's just like I'm I'm at this low. You know, I had taken on this this tough feat, and I had failed. So, like, in, in true fashion, like, I found the next marathon, the next weekend, um, my legs were so sore and so blown up. I didn't do any training days. I didn't run at all anymore. That whole week I didn't run. And so that was Saturday when I failed on the ma- marathon. The very next Saturday I was entered in a new marathon, towed up to the starting line and there was no way I was not going to finish. And, um, I did, I finished my first marathon a week after failing on a marathon. Um, gosh, it feels good to find redemption like that, you know, to, to finish what you start, to finish your goals. And, um, you know, and then after that, I ended up, you know, running a bunch of marathons before I found trails and ultra marathons and, and, uh, really love trail running. And I do have to set some more goals for myself. I really want to run a hundred miler. I've ran a 50 miler before. I'd love to run a hundred miler. It's tough because it takes so much focus. And I love focusing on Western hunting. I love getting my trail miles in and running, but all of a sudden now if I'm training for a hundred miler, I can't spend the time, you know, bear hunting in the spring. I've got to put, you know, more effort into my training, but I really need to take on that goal and do it and accomplish it for myself. It's just something I want to do. I want to run throughout the night with a headlamp and then finish and, and endurance teaches you so much about yourself. And I just love endurance sports and pushing myself and my limits. So I definitely have to do something like that, but I, you know, I've just been so focused on this bow hunting lifestyle and being as good as I can at that and getting my, you know, my 
my training in and my shooting in and then my days of field. I really think that's what makes me a good bow hunter is the time I spend in the field. The the amount of days I spend stalking and looking for and hunting, you know, experience is, is such a great teacher. But anyways... Okay, I'm off topic. I've gone too long already, so uh, we better wrap this one up, guys. Um, Again, appreciate all the support, and uh, yeah, thanks for listening in to the podcast. Um, And with that, oh, let's thank our sponsors, Onyx and um, Evolution Outdoors. Um, Both of them make great products, and uh, we really appreciate their support. And um, I think that's it. I think that's all I have. All right, guys, check in with you next week.